to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We're going to be diving back into this book of Acts. And um, so I had a couple of intro um, overview slides. Just a reminder as we're getting back into that, every time we go into a new book, I always try to go in and kind of include all of the setting and the author and the context. And the context matters so much as you're going through the, uh, the scripture. So I would encourage you to take some time if you're doing some personal Bible study to, to get some sort of commentary um, that will help you understand why God was speaking to this particular people, the, the original audience, why that was uh, important and significant for them to understand. And then to think through, first of all, just the beauty and majesty that God is wise enough to know that what, what was um, fitting for them to hear um, is still fitting for us to hear. And so the beauty of that uh, going across different um, context. And so um, the first slide up there is just a, kind of the intro and uh, overview, um, looking at uh, the, the uh, overall purpose there and the author. So the author is Luke. So he's the same guy who wrote the, the book of Luke. And so um, a lot of people have questions about that, that uh, Luke is the author of Luke and then also of the, um, the book of Acts. And so if you remember in the, the first part of Luke, he said uh, he had a friend he was writing to and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to try to give a detailed account of all that Jesus began began to do and teach. And so then he, he writes the, the gospel of Luke. Um, and then, uh, then later on, as he kept traveling and kept seeing the church expand then, um, then he was saying, hey, I'm going to write another letter on, on as, as Jesus is continuing to work and teach now through the Holy Spirit. And so that's what happens at Acts 1-8, um, as we'll see. Um, and then the, the, set, the date's around 62 AD. So think if, if, you're, if you're going um, by some close dates of 33 AD, so when Jesus leaves the scene, um, this is 62 AD. Um, it begins in Jerusalem. It ends in Rome. Why would it end in Rome? Why was Paul so adamant about getting to Rome? Rome was New York City. Rome was LA. Rome was London, right? With the, the place, the epicenter where thoughts and ideas and philosophies and education and religions were, were all uh, flowing out of. And so um, lots of influence there. Uh, this is within 40 days of the death uh, on the cross and the resurrection when we started in, in, in Acts 1-8. And so the key verse there is that uh, Acts 1-8, that you'll receive power uh, and not just miracle working power. Um, but it, that word um, dynamos uh, th th that's there um, it is it's, it's, it's a power that as you proclaim the gospel as witnesses, there's a spirit working in a powerful way on souls that's beyond your, your own human power. So the Spirit's going to come on you in power, and you're going to be my witnesses. So you, you speak the gospel. Your words can't change anyone. The Holy Spirit has to do what? The Ezekiel 36 stuff that we know. Um, giving a new softened heart, removing the hardened heart, opening eyes to see, first of all, your need for salvation. I need forgiveness. The, the Holy Spirit does all that work. And then a desire is put in you to want to repent. Now, we, we feel that as, man, you don't realize all that beautiful, gracious, loving, overflowing work the Holy Spirit's doing beforehand, that God is doing that. And by the way, that's not happening with everyone. That's not happening with everyone in the same way. And so in that, there's a lot of people who have still never heard the gospel, right? And yet we hear it repeatedly, repeatedly, and may reject it and reject it and reject it. And the Holy Spirit's doing that work. And we think it's just like, 
after a while, we kind of don't even notice, don't even notice. And then all of a sudden we're like, man, I'm living a horrible life. This is pitiful. I could die and go to hell. This is horrible. I should have a change. And we think that we just make that decision. Man, it's a beautiful work that the Holy Spirit's been doing. And so um, that, that's what's, all that's going on there. And so um, you will be my witnesses. With now this power from the Holy Spirit, when, when the gospel is proclaimed, that, and, and people are talking about God, that the Holy Spirit brings this conviction and repentance and confession. And then there's spiritual renewal that Jesus talked about in John 3 with Nicodemus, that you must be born from above, where the Holy Spirit comes and does that work and cleans your, um, your, your soul from all those sins, and those are all put on Christ on the cross. So a little simple statement, Holy Spirit's coming in power, and you'll be my witnesses, but man, a lot of stuff is going on. And, and the beautiful part is, he says, and, and now you're going to do that in Jerusalem where Jesus was just crucified and this whole crowd of people hate you, disciples. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then it's going to go to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So beautiful stuff that Shell talked about there in, in Revelation. And so that's that, that first part. And then the next slide, uh, again, just looking at the internal overview. So what's the goal? Why would we read the book of Acts? There's some, some people that would tear Acts apart and say, it's not theological enough. I, I, I just want to go, oh, goodness, oh, goodness. You're, you're, you're saying to God, hey, I'm just critiquing you a little bit. It's not real theological. It's not real helpful. And so you're going to face Jesus about that to tell him how he, he, he kind of made some mistakes. He should have done this differently. Holy Spirit, God, you, you messed up a little bit. Not real theological. I'm a really good seminarian. Got a PhD, real smart, real sharp, real sharp guy. Know all the spiritual stuff. And, you know, God, kind of just, it, it's all right. I'll give you a, a B minus. So anyway, that, that, that's on. What's the goal? It's worship. The goal of Acts should be worship. Not one person at Pentecost, not the disciples, no one deserved any grace. No one deserved any mercy. And yet God is just, just about to explode the church onto the scene. Thousands upon thousands of people who are happy pursuing their life, happy pursuing their sin, happy pursuing their fake gods. And, and so instead God goes, no, I'm going to remove that and give you true worship. So like Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of all the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So that idea there that missions and evangelism will come to a stop. There won't be people in heaven doing missions and evangelism. So missions ends, evangelism ends, and now it's worship. And so the book of Acts and then 2024 is about us wanting to bring in this beautiful throne room of worship to people who don't deserve it. And so it should be a beautiful book as we go through it, just amazed at the, the grace of God. So Revelation 7, 9, and 5, 9 that I have there, um, I encourage you to look those up um, and, and go through those. We cover those a lot of times with that picture of people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language um, getting exposed to the grace of the gospel, to the grace of Christ. Uh, literally over 2 billion people on this planet who do not even know the gospel story, have not heard the gospel story. And so all those unreached, and yet here we have so much opportunity, so much um, access to the gospel. So that's why this matters. That's why the book of Acts is powerful to see. The book of Acts ended in chapter 28, but um, 
the, the reality is that the Spirit is still working through the church and through missions and through evangelism and, and using the gospel um, in our day in the same way that he was doing in Acts. So just keep that um, in our mind, that this is God rescuing us out of our own egotistical, self-focused perspective to an entire new way of thinking. Um, it's about God's glory and about salvation going to people that, that are undeserving. And, and we're going to see that in, in Acts chapter 8 right here. There are some powerful transitions um, occurring here. First of all, the martyrdom of Stephen just happened in uh, Acts chapter 7. Remember that? Um, Stephen and Philip, the guy we're going to look at today, um, they were um, one of the first seven guys that were selected um, to, kind of, to serve the, the widow's tables. And so that the apostles said, hey, we, we don't want to take time away from prayer and, and focus on the study of the Word of God and proclaiming the Word of God. And so if some people can cover these things, and so Stephen and Philip are guys that were listed out there in, in Acts 6 and 7. And then in Acts chapter 7 is when Stephen goes and proclaims the, the beautiful connection of Old Testament Israel and uh, Abrahamic covenant and all those things to this is Jesus, the guy you just crucified. And so they started throwing rocks at Stephen, and Stephen dies there. It's a huge catalyst because at that point, huge persecution began to break out in the church. And so just think of, uh, of our little congregation. It's kind of like the Kansas City parade. Once shots start getting fired, what happens? Everyone just runs and scatters, right? Well, you get away from that. And so now, and then, then you go and you get in your little Frady hole, and then you're like, hey, um, I had to bear the bad news, but I think Jesus said this is going to happen. I think he said it was going to happen repeatedly. Remember when he said that statement about, hey, when they take you before kings and governors and they put you to death, you're still like, remember how we were all like, la, uh, la, 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 don't want to hear that? I think that's what's happening. And if they killed him and they killed Stephen, I wonder if that's going to be for us. But man, he still said to be witnesses here in Jerusalem. How do we do that in a culture that hates us, that doesn't like us, that would even kill us? And so some beautiful thresholds are happening here. Um, it's so beautiful and should give the vision for opportunity for, for, for the, the true church of Christ to see how the gospel and the kingdom was breaking through thresholds into areas completely void and empty of the gospel, completely void and empty of, of any churches. So think through, as it's moving forward, there's not churches out there. Um, those, those thresholds and barriers of race, of ethnicity, which we're going to see today, uh, of political and government powers, of socioeconomic um, culturally confused, spiritually dark and devastated areas. That, that's all that Acts is showing us, all of those things. Um, why is that not so clear to us that that is so fitting for the time that we live in? That's exactly what's going on right now with all the polarization going on. Um, all of that is being overcome by the gospel and the kingdom through the power of the Spirit and, it's, and they're reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God and the redemption of souls. So those are the same barriers we face today. God is screaming at us through the book of Acts is, this is what I do. So if you remember, there's a, a game where Patrick Mahomes come back and the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the things, uh, well, I think it was last year's uh, games, and, he come, and they come back from like 20-something points down. And so what I hate about it, so you love it, it kind of pumps you up, but at the same time, I've seen this transition of Patrick Mahomes from a very humble, like kind of a guy who's just, you know, uh, just like, man, just, you know, God just really gives me a lot to now. It's like, hey, I build $18 million mansions and have houses bigger for my shoes than most people live in, and I'm the greatest thing ever. So it's like this transition that pride's taking over. But Literally, he's also correct because he said, this is what I do. So they had mics on him and he, they just come back like 26 points. Everyone's like, there's no way they're coming. He's like, this is what I do. This is what I do. And God is screaming through Acts, hey, in 2024, this is what I do. This is what I can do. 
The people around you that are driving you crazy, the people that you hate and despise and you think you're so different, and if you're not careful, you're being taught and discipled to hate them. This is what I do. This is why I redeemed you. This, you're a reconciler now. This is, if, you're, if you're buying into all those messages, you're not remembering that, that this is what I do. That's what Acts is screaming, going, I, I want you to love those people that you're being discipled to hate. So beautiful opportunities that we have here. Is it easy? No. But I'm not getting rocks thrown at me and killed, and y'all are just standing there like, man, are, are we going to Bueno or are we going to you know, Chili's? Like, that, that's not happening. It's, it's not so bad. It's much worse there. And so we have a great opportunity. Um, God is, is, is working among us if we see it. So Acts chapter 8-1 that we, we're looking at is beautiful with 1-8. So that next slide I have. Uh, so if you remember Acts um, chapter 8-1, we're going to start in 4. But Saul approved Stephen's execution. Dead body land there. Persecution breaks out. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Um, so God had a plan there. So, so if you go like, oh, was the apostles the scared ones? No, actually, so they, they spent several years and they, they were landing on things that the, the church was going to discuss. The church early, they call these people beyond the original 12 uh, apostles or the 11 that made it. Um, those, they call them the early church fathers. So the years of the first century, second century, and third century, they were going, they were establishing a foundation. So that Jerusalem church had many things that they were establishing. And then the Antioch church comes in the picture and they're working together. We're going to see in Acts 15, when, hey, you guys probably know the story. So for Gentiles now, God's saving the Gentiles, and they're not Jews. They don't live by our lists. They don't live by the Old Testament rules. They don't live by Moses' law, and they're not circumcised. They're not doing all the stuff we do. They can't be saved, is what a majority of the crowd was saying. Jerusalem church, Peter, um, John, all those apostles going, no, we've prayed about this. The Lord has led us to see this is exactly his plan. They don't have to become Jews first. They don't have to go into Judaism first to be a part. And so the Gentiles are grafted in, and that's us, right? And so in that, as they're going, this, this persecution rises up, the apostles stay in Jerusalem to establish foundations, and then God starts sending people out, like we're going to read about today, Philip. Um, but it's a horrible scene. It's hor- I mean, we read about it, and so when you read those stories right now in um, Russia and the Ukraine uh, of a missile flying in, 120 people killed. Did you know any of them? I didn't either, so we just move on, right? Um, it, with, with Israel and the, the Palestinians right now, we, every day, several hours a day, you'll hear things about these people being killed. It matters when it hits your family. When, when a family member gets cancer or heart problems or an illness or some tragedy happens, a car wreck, it really affects you for a while. But we read over those things real, real just like, like it doesn't really matter that much, and it really does matter if that's impacting you. And so um, dead body laying here, persecution hitting, what do we do? What do we do? They may kill us if we gather. If, if they get, catch us together talking about Jesus in the way, they may kill us also, right? And so um, that is only beautiful, something that horrific, if it's in light of something greater than our own lives. So Acts 1.8. Acts 8.1 is beautiful in light of Acts 1.8. But you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 8-1 can only be beautiful in light of 1-8. So let's look at um, the, this first section here in, in chapter um, 8. What we're seeing here is we're seeing Acts 1-8 fleshed out. So what this is doing for early people in the first 100 years, second 100 years, third 100 years, 
is God faithful and God powerful enough to do what he said he was going to do in Acts 1.8? And so when Luke's tracing this down, the Holy Spirit let him write this stuff down. They need to know that what Jesus said is coming true. And so in Acts um, 8 there, God purposely calls his people to live as faithful witnesses in tough contexts. Among places and people where Jesus is not being enjoyed and treasured. So why do you do missions? Because there's places and people who are not enjoying and worshiping Jesus. And we want to move the gospel there. We want to have a movement of the gospel and the kingdom of God going into a place that's without worship of Jesus. Why do you do church planting at 61st in Peoria? Because there's a ton of people that are, are so rich and so elite that they might not even notice that they need the gospel. And there's some middle-class people that, that are so busy with their life and just doing what they want to do that they might not realize they need the gospel. And there's people in brokenness and poverty that don't know if tomorrow's meal's coming that need the gospel of Christ. So the gospel breaks through all of those different socioeconomic barriers, all those uh, political barriers, all those racial barriers, all those ethnicity barriers. And that's a beautiful picture because you want to go to places where, where people are not worshiping Jesus and exalting Christ. So Acts 4 through 8, uh, Acts chapter 8, 4 through 8, this movement of the gospel and kingdom, we're going to see in this, God is fulfilling his redemptive purposes. Um, being my witnesses into Samaria. So in Jerusalem, into Judea and Samaria. And, and then you need to be asking, like, what kind of power is this that he does this? Um, Jerusalem, it's a tough place to start, like I said earlier, to follow Jesus in those first few years. Um, a lot of scholars believe that from the time of Acts 1-8, and so you know Jesus lifted off and ascended to the clouds right there at Acts 1-8. From Acts 1-8 to Acts 8, where we're at now, church has been established, it's been five to eight years, they would say, so five to eight years. So we read it and it seems like it's like tomorrow, like Tuesday, uh, they were moving on. But it was about five to eight years and they pieced different parts of the New Testament together to get some of those, those things. Um, Paul mentioned some things of his own life about that, that he spent some time, three to four years in a different place and then come back to the people in, in Jerusalem there um, because they, they considered the church in Jerusalem to have all this authority. So five to eight years, um, Acts chapter 2, the, the Spirit falls, and then in Acts chapter 8, persecution begins spreading. Um, just like church planting, they've gone through a season of gathering this core group of people there, what we saw in Acts 2, the church is founded. Um, they're equipping and teaching them, that's going on. There's community and fellowship that's going on, right? Um, there's also um, forms of disciple making. There's care and generosity. Now, where do I get those ideas? Care, generosity, fellowship, teaching, equipping, um, all those things. Where, where do I get that? That's, that's Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 45, explains here's what the church was doing, gathering, doing these things, right? And so that's where um, the, you get those ideas. And so here's God purposely calling us to live as faithful witnesses in tough contexts. Um, so um, I titled this at, at the beginning of our first part in Acts um, as the movement of gospel and kingdom. Um, there's been people that will title it about, uh, and they don't mean to, but they're, they're, they, they want to charge the church and they want to motivate people. So they make it about us. They make it about people. Instead of about God and what God's doing, they will turn it into um, Peter takes the, and so who's the, who's the focal point? Peter and Peter's strengths and Peter's leadership ability. And literally some, some commentaries will just have all these um, lists of things about lead, uh, leadership ability and you should be like Peter and all these things when actually Peter's just maybe saying something, but the, then Holy Spirit's the one doing the work. So um, it's a continuation of Jesus working through the Spirit. And so just get an idea of that as we're going through it. We're not trying to highlight Peter or Philip or whoever or Paul. Um, and so, and we see here that um, 
this is about the gospel and kingdom moving forward. Um, what would it look like for God to intervene and bring a movement of gospel and kingdom in our time and place? What would that look like? For God, just like we... You're still doing the same thing. You're rubbing sticks together for two years. You're rubbing sticks together for five years. Some people are rubbing sticks together for 10 years, for 15 years. Um, you can look at different things. And so, and, and when God decides that he's going to show up, it's not because you're, you're more worthy or you're smarter or you're better. A lot of times it's, it's, just, it's just a matter of brokenness and prayer. Um, and so, um, so think through, even in our corporate renewal uh, service and our corporate prayer times, that those 12 times a year that we're wanting to have, that, that, that's saying, hey, hey, God, we need you. So the first one was all about uh, each person being able to spend time in just in quietness before the Lord for, for repentance, for c- conviction, for confession. Like, do, what are areas in my life that I'm blind to? What, what are areas of spiritual pride that I'm just blind to? What are areas of sinful disobedience that, that I've been okaying and I've been all right with, and they're clearly disobedient, but, but I justify it? We wanted that one. The second one's going to be, hey, God, now, now hopefully we're, we're cleansing our hearts every time, and you don't get to do this. Hey, we, we were thinking we did that, that one time, that one date, and like, I guess I'm good for the next year, right? Hopefully the next time is another time, like, man, let's spend a little bit of time looking at our own hearts again, right? So Puritans did this, different reformers did this. And then now, hey God, we are pleading for your intervention. For, for, forbid us from moving steps and just taking a whole bunch of steps and getting busy. We're looking for your intervention and for you to give direction here, God. So that's the second one. Uh, the third and the fourth one of those prayer times, we're even going to move out into areas. So Marshall uh, School, uh, McClure Elementary, to Johnson Park over there, to go out and prayer walk on those as families, and, and to go and do this and say, like, hey, God, we're, we're, we're still asking you to intervene. We still need you to cleanse our hearts. We still need conviction and repentance and confession. And maybe as we run into people, we need it more because I get ticked off really quickly. And so, man, we need you. We need you to intervene. What would it look like for God to intervene and bring a movement of gospel and kingdom? So beautiful opportunities. So they're scattered for worship. And so Philip goes out. Now remember, Philip is nothing special. One of the things I want you to walk away with is Philip is not a seminary guy. Philip is not a PhD in theological studies. Philip is not a pastor. Uh, Philip is just a servant of the church. He's a guy setting up tables, setting up chairs. That's literally what they were doing. They were helping widows with food and then all the physical needs of the church. Stephen, same thing. Beautiful that, that both of these guys are just regular guys, just servants of the church, who their gospel intentionality leads them to be able to just talk to people about the gospel. Too bad for Stephen, right? Philip goes a little bit better. And so Philip, as he's going out, um, he's just doing that. He's living his life. And so then and we see that, that Philip decides to go down to Samaria. So I want you to hear that he is just a regular servant. Um, he, he's not one of the apostles, um, but notice how God uses him. Uh, an important reminder is the priesthood of all believers, that every single person has giftings and abilities that God has placed inside you for that. And we need to take that with us when we're going through a time where believers are being encouraged by Christians and even Christian leaders explicitly and implicitly to hate and attack. Hate and attack those people. Hate and attack that category of people. Hate and attack them. Jesus was never doing that. God was never doing that. The early church was never doing that. But if we're not careful, we're being discipled to do that. Why would Philip cross the road, cross over into Samaritans? Why would Philip go into a people that they had been taught his whole entire life were ceremonially and socially unclean, godless, and out of God's promises? They were hated by Jews as half-breeds. 
So, that, so Philip is just a regular guy. Now let's look at the Samaritans. So I've got some bullet points up there about the Samaritans. Um, remember, these are Jews. They're Samaritan Jews. They're, this is not yet Gentiles. These are Jewish people. Um, Half-breeds is what they were called. They were outcasts. They were considered dirty, unclean, but they knew the Old Testament story. They were acquainted with God's story in the Old Testament, creation, Israel, a sin, redemption, Abrahamic covenant, uh, and Moses, the books of the Torah. Um, they were considered worse than Gentile dogs, though. They were worse than, than, than the enemies, uh, the Gentiles. Um, in 722, so 700 years before Jesus hits the earth, 700 years before, remember the Assyrians come in? And so one particular leader, uh, I think is Sargon, is it Sargon II, he takes, comes in, takes, some people say 20 to 30, some people say 40 to 50,000 Jews out. So same thing, let's look at, look at current day, a, a picture, I'm not trying to compare this to the same thing, but a picture that's very current with us is Israel going, hey, you guys better get out of here, we're coming after some people, you need to get on the road, you need to get on the road and get out of there. So refugees, right? Um, same thing in Ukraine, refugees are, it's the biggest movement of refugees, uh, Shell's an expert on this, um, the biggest movement and people of refugees living dispersed from their homelands than ever in the history of the world right now. Great opportunity if you want to welcome them in. If you hate them because they're from a different dialect or you hate them because of their skin color, or you hate them because of what they used to worship, then you're not going to get the gospel to them, right? But if you see it as an opportunity to love on them and to share with them and to get with them and, like, and, and listen to where they're and then to be able to share like Philip's doing here, it's a great opportunity. And so um, these people, 700 years before Christ come, 30,000, 40,000 are taken out and they're put in different lands. What happens when you're in different lands for 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years, 600 years? What happens? You intermarry with their people. You also start worshiping their gods. Culturally, you start dressing different. You start partaking of things that the Jews um, did not partake of. So now no longer are we going by the Judas, uh, Judaism's uh, strict rules on dietary and societal norms, right? I'm not doing that now. I, I've been Hellenized. Uh, is, uh, later on, there's, you're going to see some Hellenized Jews that they've adopted the ways of the culture. Um, and so now they don't look the extreme Jewish look anymore. And so they're half-breeds. And also some of them start worshiping other deities and other gods. So some, some bad things are going on. Um, so that's what the, these Samaritans are. Um, you're not going to believe this, but at different points, many different points in history, issues about immigration, we've got an immigration, immigration problem. And by the way, it's not just America, right? Other people are very concerned, right? All over the world. Immigration problems. Border control. Ethnic cleansing. Family reunification, refugee crisis, nations warring for more land. See any guys out there posturing, going, I got some new toys, got some power for 40 years. We were a small little country. And I, don't, don't tick me off. I, I'm, I'm wanting to have world domination. That's what some of these guys are doing, right? It's very clear. Migration, um, governance, they were big issues always, and God still has plans for redemption in the midst of that. And if we're not careful... We end up on a side of history fighting about all those little issues instead of going eternal perspective. This is about the gospel. What, what would the gospel do in this? I, I just can't stand this. I can't believe this guy. And there's this policy. And, and hours, 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 money, money, resources, time, time, time. Never made a disciple. Never, never considering what God's wanting to do here. Never going, hey, God, maybe I'm so concerned with all of that. So over time, these Samaritan Jews intermarried. They, they took on these other religion beliefs. Um, they were opposed to traditional Judaism. They rejected the oral teachings, the Talmud and the Midrash. 
So they rejected uh, all the oral teachings. So if you remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, their belief was only in the Torah. So you remember what the Torah was? Only the first five books uh, of the, the Bible, what Moses wrote. Uh, wrote. And so also called the Pentateuch. Um, so they only believed the first five books, all those prophets, all those stories, David, all those. Nope, you're wrong, Jews, you're wrong. How offensive was, how offensive was that to Jews? David? Solomon? Uh, are you kidding me? Get out of here. Can't stand you. Their belief was only in one holy prophet, Moses ben Amram. You didn't know he had a last name, did you? And a middle name. Uh, belief in one holy place, Mount Gerizim. Remember that? It was a big deal. They, they come back after, after those people had been taken off, thousands taken off, and they start intermarrying over hundreds of years. Guess what the Syrians also did? They brought other people from other countries and brought them in. Aliens with different beliefs, different standards, definitely not Jewish beliefs, different um, deities and different uh, societal norms. They brought them into that area. So that's well, that was Samaria. So this mixture. So the Jews hated that area um, and hated that people. They modified and they dropped off most of the Jewish dietary and societal laws. Um, many of the strict Jews even took routes over to the west. So if you're in Jerusalem uh, and you were going to go to Galilee, between you and Galilee was Samaria. And so instead of going through Samaria, they, they come up with these man-made lists and rules. And they told the Jews and they taught from their synagogues and they taught the people. Here's this path. We're going to create this path going away over here, a week longer trip to avoid them. Because if you go there, you're going to be unclean. You're going to be unholy. You see how bad they are. You see those people? They're horrific. You stay away from them. They, they taught that all the time. So a man-made rule to go and take this path. This is what would be holy. Separate, keep yourself out of that, and, and take a week longer trip to get up to Galilee. And so Jesus was aware of that. The famous story, I got a slide here of John 4, the famous story. Uh, what is Jesus doing here? Um, he repeatedly does what? I'm going right in the front door of Samaria. Hey, disciples, we're going to Samaria. Whoa, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it. Everyone will consider us unclean. You're not unclean. It's just people, and they need the gospel. I'm trying to show you it's not about man-made lists and rules, disciples, that we go to them because the love of God goes to them. Did you forget? I didn't have to come for you. The first song we sang. Did you forget that, that you're amazed, you should be amazed that you're spending time with me? Stop arguing with me over us approaching lost people. Stop arguing with me about these little bitty lists and stuff. Jesus, he's not even like Alistair Begg who just suggested you know, the they, they, Christian crowds crucified Alistair Begg, if you've been in the news in the last two, two weeks, because there was a lady who was, interview, was in an interview with him, and so it's a grandma, and so she has a son, a uh, grandson, who, and the grandson kind of hated Christianity, hated her rigidness, and so, man, all these little tight circles just crucified Alistair Begg. 50 years of public ministry, clear stances on gender, manhood, womanhood, clear stances on LGBTQ, it's always sin, clear stances on homosexuality it's always in never changed his stance was in this interview he's he's 70 something he's a grandpa he's had grandchildren you know kind of go going off and he said hey a thousand different times i might give a thousand different things but to you ma'am your grandson hates christianity knows he, he looks at it as this rigid group of lists and rules that hate everything about them and the grandson is marrying someone that's transgender and so Alistair Beck says, a thousand different times, I might answer this a thousand different ways. It's not wrong. It would not be sin necessarily for you to surprise him, shock him, go to that wedding. 
and take a Bible as a gift. You don't have to. It's not saying, Alistair Begg, you bigoted, you, you horrific, you crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It, it just come out clearly on Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg never changed. He didn't say, hey, Grandma, your grandson marrying a transgender is now gay, and you're affirming that to do that. So the whole, the whole idea became, you're affirming that. Jesus, let, let's go into Samaria. We, we can't. We got, you're going to affirm everything about them. No, we're going to take the gospel in there. We're going we're to go after lost people in there. It's going to break all these little rules. It's going to break all the ideas. But can't you trust me that this is God in the flesh going, you don't even have an idea how much I'm about to pay for this. That's what love does here. So Alistair begged from an idea of love. Hey, I'm not saying, I uh, definitely ain't changing my stances. They don't, no one's bringing up that see, he's been at four different universities and got uh, hundreds of people walked out and booed and threw stuff at him because he stood before a secular university like Stanford or something and said, homosexuality is wrong. LGBTQ, it's wrong. It's sin. The Bible's clear about that. Um, our generation of kids, that's going to be tough for them to grow up. How, how do you have that stance and, and not still be loving to people? and not still be okay. So if I were to say, hey, if you had a neighbor, if you had a family member, would you at some point go, hey, man, we're going we're gonna to have them over for dinner. We have a lesbian couple. We have a lesbian couple a few doors down from Jamie and I. I said, I mean, we'd lo- I'd love to hear more about your story. And they know all the stances. They were heavily involved for 18 years in one of the churches around here, and then they, they both left their husbands, and they're together. And so, man, I'd, I'd love to hear more of your story. Not, I want to hear more of your story, because then I'll, I'll compromise my view, get on this slippery slope. Not, not at all. But, but man... Let me just ask you a question. Ever abused by a man? Tears. Half a second in. Been molested? Tears. Think that plays in to a woman? Yeah. Simple. But love says, let's give some time. You know all the stuff. You've gone through some circumstances. Let's give some time. So Jesus takes his disciples in in John 4. Much worse than Alistair Begg, much, much worse of just saying, you have the freedom. There's a hundred choices out there. It would not be sin for you to do this. Jesus does much, much worse and goes, I'm going in. And you're coming with me. And then after I leave, I want you all to keep going in. We can't. We can't. We hate those people. We've been taught and discipled to hate those people. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of true love there. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He, he had to pass through Samaria. Luke records that. So he came to a town, or John, uh, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, he had, where he had his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So not supposed to talk to women. She's a woman that's got a really bad past. He knew it. The reason she's there in the middle of the day instead of the early morning, good women, the rule is you go early in the morning. Bad women, dirty women, go after everyone else at a different time. And Jesus is touching her, listening to her, loving her. And what happens? She gets saved and goes into the city and, and tells others about it. And Jesus still has to hush the crowd like, hey, we can't get this out there because they will come crucify, crucify or they will come try to put it into me before we get this gospel spread out in different places. And so then the story goes on, that beautiful story of the woman of the well. Um, good to think through. How, how does this compare to ministry in our day with people who already think that they are saved and accepted as the people of God? So these Samaritans, they're confused. They're acquainted with the idea of God but they're confused. They don't have a true Christology. Um, 
The point is, the Jews, they formed stricter rules, even for travel, to avoid what they considered a chance at becoming unclean or unholy. God's Word did not place that rule on them, but it had become a choice or a preference or a customary uh, sign for many strict Jews. Was it okay for them to say, I will only take that path? That's okay. But it is sin if you take that path and hate those people. There's where the sin is. We don't like that. Point is, Jesus was aware of the practice of that travel. Jesus was aware of their man-made rules. Um, He knew that the Bible was not saying that. That was a preference. He was aware that that rule was there. He broke through customary religious preferences and religiously added rules in order to bring love and salvation and engage and spread the kingdom into people who were undeserving, people who were gross, people who were despised by the believers of his day. Jesus and his disciples had several trips through Samaria, purposely planting seeds, um, and then you see the gospel take root after that as they spread the love and grace of God. So take this time because part of the point of Acts is the gospel and the kingdom breaking through barriers. There's several key points where the gospel breaks through barriers. Chapter 2, whole new group of people, um, people from all over the world. Here in chapter 8, Judea, Samaria, Ethiopia, Chapter 10, Peter's vision. Hey, there's stuff, all this stuff is clean to set you up for the Gentiles. Chapter 11, chapter 13, chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council I talked of earlier. Uh, are we okay with Gentiles being brought in without going by all of our Judistic um, rules and standards? Yes. That was what I've been trying to show you all along is what God's showing there. So we see the beautiful picture there of cultural, political, national, ethnic, linguistic, socioeconomic barriers, bringing salvation and grace and unity. If we pause and look around, isn't that the opportunity that we have in our current cultural moment? But if we're not careful, we're being discipled to hate. And so we have to think through this beautiful picture. We have this opportunity. God is screaming, this is, this is what I do. What you're seeing me do in Acts, 2024 doesn't surprise me. I'm not afraid of those people. I'm not telling you that you have to hate and, 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 and completely remove everything. In fact, they need the gospel. So I want to draw that contrast. We need to notice the contrast. Jesus is aware of all levels and degrees of unholy, disgusting, despised, hated, rejected, pitiful, ungodly people. And his response is to bring love and grace and mercy and truth and compassion and the kingdom to them. Contrasted with subgroups of believers who are aware of all those degrees of unholy, disgusting, despised, hated, rejected, pitiful, ungodly people who think they're promoting and protecting Christianity, but do not live or teach or act in the same way that Jesus does, but instead acting from places of disgust and hate um, have nothing to do with him. So that, that's, that's an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity. It's hard. It's very, very difficult. And so we have that opportunity. Um, I expect lost people to act like God-defying lost people. We shouldn't expect redeemed, forgiven, blood-bought people to act like angry, hateful people who hurt others, attack others, and act and fight in the same way that lost people fight. So we have this whole world in front of us in the Bible Belt of these half-hearted or or people that think that they're saved, just like the Samaritans, and think that they have their own uh, beliefs and ideas about God. They're living all these kinds of confusion. You're like, clearly this just isn't biblical. Clearly this just isn't biblical. Clearly, this just... And so we move towards them. We shouldn't be surprised by it, but we have a great opportunity. They're right in front of them. That's the 40 or 50 million that they have just left the church. And so particularly in the Bible Belt, um, that's, that's a large majority of people. So Philip understood this. He understood this with Matthew 13 as he goes into um, 
into um, Samaria there. If you remember in, in Matthew 13, I think I've got a slide of it. Um, the disciples came to him and explained to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So that's me, Jesus. I'm sowing good seed. What's the good seed that he's sowing? You believers, you disciples. The enemy, he's coming and he's putting weeds out there. Ten weeds for every, ten weeds for every uh, good seed. I'm telling you, the field is going to be, you're going to be surrounded by people with, with evil or with really good morals, and they think that they're all right, and you're, you're planted around them purposely. That was part of the design. And Philip goes, I understood that parable. I understood the story. And the Samaritans, it's, it's, it's the weeds that are confused. It's the weeds that are looked at as evil. And I want to go and plant the gospel in the middle of that and see a church rise up there. Disciples made there. It's so a beautiful picture there. Um, Philip goes to Samaria, to the outcasts and the half-breeds and the hated. The gospel broke through walls of prejudice and racial divide. The gospel broke through walls of secular living and religious divide. And that's not a political statement. That's not a social agenda statement. That's watching the heart of God intersecting with the lives of diversity in mankind. We should be marked by a love for one another that destroys that type of prejudice. Um, God's glorious gospel was made to break through walls like that. All kinds. So a good question for followers of, uh, of Jesus of the cross would I be willing to lay down my polarizing participation in order to see the kingdom expand? If Jesus told them that this is crazy, uh, that the, if Jesus told them this crazy idea was possible as he was lifted off and it came true, what do we take from his commission in making disciples when he said, hey, hey remember, I know what it's going to be like in 2024. Behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Go into Samaria. Go to the Samaritan people. and We're surrounded by it. So that's just in, in, in verse um, 4 and 5 there. Simple picture of Philip took the gospel into Samaria. The people that were hated and disgusted. And that's part of the scattering of the church and God's plans there. Beautiful picture. And then verses 6, 7, and 8 says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he had, that he did. Unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many. So you have exorcisms going on. Um, and, and they're, they're um, calling out um, evil spirits, Philip is. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So Philip's walking with these powerful, supernatural, um, miraculous acts, right? So there was much joy in that city. So um, don't be confused in the Bible um, when it says they paid attention. That doesn't necessarily mean that the whole crowd was saved. Uh, all the times, and there's even times in the book of John where a couple, two or three times, it says that Jesus went in, they did these things, they did some miracles. The miracles are used to draw attention to the message. So like in what it does, it gives authority and affirmation that this is God. This is God's message. I'm proving it by some of these signs and wonders, right? And so, and, but we have, we're in a city where we kind of got amazed more on the signs and wonders and the message got downplayed a lot, right? So as you see the book of Acts going forward, a great question that some of our uh, extreme, maybe charismatic brothers and sisters put more emphasis on those miracles and signs and wonders. Um, what we want to show them is that the reason that that kind of died off and why that was not prescriptive necessary that that has to happen every service and we, we and we demand god to do that and, and if, if it's not happening then god's not here it was it was not prescriptive that that will always happen every sunday or that has to happen with every church gathering it's not prescriptive it's just descriptive of a certain time period when as the gospel break broke through a new threshold crossed the line from jerusalem into a new area to authenticate the message to affirm the message to show this must be god 
Because look at the stuff that's happening, that there were miraculous things that happened. Now, we're a continuationist versus a cessationist group. So cessationists say that after about the first 200 years, that stuff ceased. And you can, you can track with history that it does. The graph kind of goes down. Like churches didn't talk about all the miracles and all these things and, and all the miraculous signs and all the miraculous gifts. Didn't talk about it as much, but you can trace that it was still going. So some people say that ended there with the apostles and the early church fathers. They'll kind of wedge on that. But then others, so that would be a cessationist, that ceased. Cessation. It ceased in. We say that God still is in the power that he, he can do that. A continuationist would say that we believe that those things are still going on. What gets confusing is the next couple of chapters we're going to go into is why did these people receive the word? Some believed and the Holy Spirit didn't fill them yet. That's a good question. So we're going to try to explain that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but a uh, thing to walk away with is that the signs and the miracles, they authenticate the message of Jesus. Um, so we're in a city in a region where cultural Christianity rules. People who have no, had no life change, who do not worship Jesus daily or weekly or monthly, who do not abide with Christ, they, they don't really care about that, haven't been taught that, haven't been in churches long enough to, to learn that, who had maybe a one-time emotional sinner's prayer, maybe, uh, that they think that they are heaven-bound. Total lifestyles of disobedience, no repentance, no continuous uh, repentance, no confession of sin, no understanding of the Bible, no understanding of obedience, no understanding of lordship. This is a great opportunity. God is up to the task, and it pleasures his heart to do that. And so that's the thing that we've got to remember. It's a beautiful opportunity. Keep in mind, um, people being um, entertained by miracles or even attributing them to these different deities that were going on in that time, uh, the, the, the signs and wonders gave... Um, a power of understanding that this was, this was God affirming this message that went along with it. So the gospel is, the main point there is the gospel is breaking through net new thresholds. And not just for the goodness of the people, that, that's a great thing, but God is going to set up worship for eternity. This is people ripped into eternity from, from their selfish lives of the past. And so a beautiful picture um, God uses early miraculous signs to authenticate the message of the cross. And we're going to see that every time in the book of Acts, that, that, that they break into a new threshold, a new people group, uh, new people that are exposed to the gospel. Sometimes there's signs and wonders. Sometimes there's even tongues, but not every single time. So you don't want to make that prescriptive every single time that happens. And then notice that increased joy came with Christ. So the walkaways, thinking through what, what does this mean in, in the book of Acts for me? Do I need a paradigm shift on my views of other people? Are there people that would be Samaritans in our day? Am I looking through a gospel lens? And then secondly, what, what are barriers that we seem to be facing today? What does this show me about God? And what is my view of God in that? If we have these other barriers today, what are my thoughts about God working in that? And then also difficulty, uh, persecution for Jesus' people. It's all part of the purposes of God. And am I okay with that? Uh, and what you're seeing is just a simple, um, you know, fight or flight that's happening in some little subcultures of Christianity where, where he said, you're going to be persecuted. Things are not going to go your way. You, you, you're not going to, you're going to have a life of difficulty. And you see these little subgroups like, no, I refuse that. That will never happen. We've got to fight. We've got to kill. We've got to attack. We've got, and, and he's going, no, I told you it was going to happen that way. doesn't mean that you don't, that you let go of your stance. doesn't mean that you change your beliefs. No, you, you can still hold to those 2,000 years of the church has been able to hold those and to not become an attacking, hating subgroup. So am I okay with that? 
And as a regular Philip, as a, a priesthood of believers, are you living as Jesus' witness in the places that God has you? Um, your, 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 your family, your neighborhood, your, your workplace, um, your friends, your relatives. Are you seen as, as a loving, Christ-like, gentle um, Jesus' witness? So some good things for us to think through, through, through as we start back into the book of Acts. Let me pray. 